0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another worship service at El Paso Bible Church. It is good to be here and good to see you guys. I'm just going to go over some of the announcement, announcements on the bulletin. So the first one is at Women's Ministry, um, and there's a typo there. It should say Saturday, February the 3rd, and uh, at 10 a.m., Building B. So that's a building right next to this one. Uh, women, if you can attend that ministry meeting do so. Saturday, February 3rd. And we also have a congregational, our annual congregational meeting coming up. Uh, That is uh, Sunday, February the 11th. And we generally have that right after our worship service. Uh, So do plan on on staying for that if you can. Uh, It only takes probably 30 to 60 minutes or so. Uh, 45 minutes on average. And we do provide a little uh, snack for you guys to calm your hunger. So congregational meeting Sunday, February 11th, and uh, yeah, so on the other side of the bulletin, you'll see that I think all of our, uh, all of our uh, events are ongoing, our Bible studies, they're, they're happening, so we have youth group Sundays at 6, and uh, Sundays at 6, we also have our young adults group meeting for Bible study, and so look at that and uh, try to plug into one of the Bible studies. Uh, Before I read today's passage, I just wanted to mention that we do have a church app. Um, If you haven't installed it, I encourage you to do so. You could look for it using our name, El Paso Bible Church. And then what you want to do is there's a button that says join the community. So you create your username and password and you join the community. And if I know who you are, I'll let you in. (laughs) I think I know who most of you are. so uh, if I recognize the name, I'll, I'll, I'll let you in. And uh, so we do have a lot of random people that want to join. And I'm like, I, I don't know who Chiang Puang is. so Or whatever. Um, in that app, uh, there's a number of different groups that you can join. And uh, actually, you're added to those groups. I, I'm the one that adds you. Uh, one of those groups is a prayer group. And everyone is in that group. And uh, I was encouraged this week by... Uh, just uh, different prayer requests. And uh, once a member posts a prayer request, you have all the church members or most of the church members replying, well, we're going to be keeping, keeping you in our prayers. We're going to be praying. And uh, one of the uh, a praise report that came in, um, I, I don't want to go into details. You, you could read it there. But at the end of that praise report, uh, she says God is good. And that's a reminder to everyone. God is God no matter the circumstances. He's always God, and God is always good. So praise God for that. Uh, I'm going to be reading Proverbs 26, uh, 9 through 11. Uh, And I have a Spanish translation. Do you want it in Spanish or in English? (laughs) Let me change that right quick. Okay. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. The great God who formed everything gives a fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Uh, So there it is. Let's uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll have our worship time. Uh, Dear God, we're thankful this morning for everything you're doing in our lives. Um, We know that you are doing it. We know that you are involved, very much involved. We know that nothing catches you by surprise. So we thank you for being God and we thank you for being good. And we ask that you bless our time together as we sing, as we pray, and as we're encouraged by the teaching of your word. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Would you now stand with us?
1: You cannot say you are stronger than 10,000. Till I met you, I was free. See the citizen of heaven Strong and mighty tower, Bible say. There is a sound that breaks off every shackle, turns the tide of any battle. Lift up a sound, there is a sound that breaks off every shackle, turns the tide of any battle.
2: Morning to you. If you're doing well this morning, it sounds less and less sniffly every week here lately. Hopefully, we don't, uh, you know, have a reverberation of the last couple weeks. Glad to hear that, uh, children. You guys can go to children's church uh, if that's what you're doing today. Uh, I forget. Explorers going over here, and adventurers going through the back. We've switched a while back, and I'm still, well, I'm a stick in the mud. What can I say? I keep thinking the wrong things, going the wrong way. Anyway. Uh, but good morning again, and I would like to remind you, we have uh, a couple things coming up. We got a a men's breakfast. Now, we got a couple things for men. Men's breakfast will be March 9th, right, Richard? That's what we talked about, March 9th. So that's going to be over in, the, in Building B at 8 o'clock, I think is what we said, and then but we're also going to slip in a triple B here in February on the 17th, so that'll be a Saturday afternoon, um, and... Uh, So we'll do that as well. So men, keep that in mind. Um, It's always a good time. The triple B is more chill time. Does that make sense? Everybody comes. We do talk about, uh, we do open the Bible for a short time, but it is more um, fellowship oriented. Um, And, you know, the men's breakfast, historically, we have, uh, you know, normally tend to have prayer and a little bit more of a lesson. Uh, Normally... Well, everybody, really everybody can come. It's up to you, fathers, particularly. Uh, but we orient kind of the men's breakfast, the teens and up. But the Triple B, if you've been there, you're well aware that uh, even the five and six year olds find something to do at the Triple B. We just try to keep them out of the grill, you know, which is always a challenge. Uh, so put those on your calendar. It's February 17th for a Triple B, March 9th for men's breakfast. Uh, and one other thing, just because I know that some of y'all are sneaky. Okay? Not in a bad way. Uh, But on February 11th, I'm starting a premarital counseling class. Now that is not a binding contract, you know what I mean? So if you, I'll put it this way, if you intend to get married in the next 18 months and you have a potential candidate, (laughs) you can come to my class. But you need to let me know, I ordered a couple extra books for you sneaky ones. Um, but that's going to run for eight weeks in the Sunday school hour. So starting February 11th. Um, and again, that's not a binding contract, right? Right? Right. Okay. It doesn't mean you're getting married. It doesn't mean you're going to marry that person. But we're going to do that if you have a candidate and if you're interested in being married in the next year and a half. I'll put it that way. All right. We're going to do that. So uh, let me know if you want to do that also. Um, all right. Let's pray. Okay, before we get started in, in the word this morning. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for the privilege and the blessing that it is to be able to come and study your word that you have preserved for us. Uh, that it is reliable, true, and inerrant. And communicated to us in a way that we can understand it. in human language uh, that is uh, studyable and understandable. And we thank you for that blessing. Uh, Father, we know that from that word it tells us that we should pray audaciously uh, we should ask for things that we could only imagine could possibly be true uh, or even come true And father we, we pray um, we pray for those things this morning we pray for the health of those in our body those who uh, have been given some difficult news this week uh, particularly janice myers and we pray she would be comforted and encouraged uh, this morning And uh, pray for Danny's continued healing. We pray uh, for those that we're unaware of. In some cases, we, you know, the things are private. Father, we pray for comfort and healing, for wisdom and treatment plans, Father, and and confidence in your goodness and your grace to us. Father, we do pray for Israel uh, this morning. We pray for preservation from her enemies and peace in her favor, in her land as your covenant people. We pray for that this morning unapologetically, knowing that it is not the popular or the common position in churches in this country anymore, but, Father, we do that. Uh, We seek your blessing for being a blessing uh, to to the people. Uh, Father, we pray you bless our time in your word today with discernment and wisdom and gladness and joy, and it's your son's name we pray, amen. Uh, So here we are, I promise, uh, well, uh, let's see, that could be a a false promise. We're, we may talk about false teaching again, okay, because it's a, it's a common issue, uh, but Peter is coming to a close here of his long section about how to discern, how to identify, and how to kind of make the dividing line between what is false teaching and what is true teaching, what is inspired word of God, what, what Peter calls true prophecy versus false prophecy, false teaching versus true teaching. And this is kind of finishing up his section here on that. Uh, but largely what we're talking about in First Peter is, in fact, growing in grace, growing in things that are favorable to God in our service and in our lives that we have here. Um, and because we have recently taken a long break, I, I really like to review a little bit all the time because we don't cherry pick here uh, at El Paso Bible Church. Um, I never understood that. Have you ever had a a fruit tree? Modern fruit trees dump fruit on you. You you probably grow a tomato plant. Anybody grow a tomato plant in a pot? Uh, So the the tomato plants that grow well in a pot, they're called determinant tomato plants. They grow their fruit really fast. They ripen all at once, and then you get a new one. So you get all the tomatoes at once. But the the idea of, of the cherry picking is that older varieties, you would have to pick them a little at a time go around the tree right they would ripen uh here and there and you could tell because the birds would start eating these over here but not those over there and that kind of thing Uh, we don't treat scripture that way Uh, we don't just jump around to the parts that make us happy or smile or joyful Uh, that's why i have jacob read verses that mention vomit in church because peter (laughs) uses that verse so we're going to say vomit again in church i already said it twice now it's coming some more Uh, But we don't do that. We place it in its context so that we understand the message as it was written and not what we want it to be or what we would put in a Hallmark card or in our signature uh, file on our email or whatever you do. Uh, But we've learned that as we're studying this passage that Peter identifies his audience as those who are fellow believers who have received the doctrine, the faith, the content, the substance of the faith that he has received And because of that, they have everything, he says, that they need for life and godliness. And then he follows that up, and he says, because you've been given everything for life and for godliness, God commands you, expects you, reasonably so, to take the things that he's given to you and to supply them in a particular order. You you may, I didn't get an allowance but some of you may have gotten an allowance. Anybody get an allowance? I didn't get an allowance. But well, I had friends who got allowances. And their parents would say, you are obligated to buy this, 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 and this for yourself out of your allowance. It was not teaching money management. That's okay. I learned a more raw version of money management um, You're going to work, son. (laughs) That's what's going to happen. And largely, you won't have any money. It's good preparation for adulthood, right? You're going to work all the time and have no money left. That's how it goes. Uh, A little bit more baseline, right? Um, Didn't get an allowance. But that's what God is doing. He said, I've given you all of this, and now for your good, for your maturity, so that you can grow in grace, I'm going to expect you to supply The things that I've given you in a particular order. Firstly, you diligently, as believers in our faith, diligently supply moral excellence. He said, try to do the best you can to do the right things. Is that okay? It's all right. Do the best you can to do the right things according to the knowledge you have today. Knowing knowing that you're not done yet, that you don't have all the knowledge, but the knowledge that you do have. Moral excellence. Knowledge. Knowledge self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That's the list in that order. Diligently, as believers, do those things. And he says there's a benefit to that. When we do it, we render, we render ourselves, he says, not, not useless. Not unfruitful. Not unprofitable. This is the way that you uh, do the things that God wants you to do. You grow in grace and you're a blessing to other people, other believers particularly. So you don't have to worry about whether you're being useful or not in life. So we should be diligent to do that. We learned that it was important that we learn those things because Peter even stated, he said, "I, I consider worthy to tell you things that you already know and which you have been firmly established. And there's a separation there, I think, a little bit in the context because he gets off on the he gets, starts going down the false teacher explanation here. Uh, but the, the, the principle behind him tell, telling you things that you already know, telling his audience things that they already know and in which they've been firmly established, is the principle that stable people, spiritually speaking, can become unstable people if they're not diligent. That doesn't mean you have lost your identity in Christ. That doesn't mean you change into a different human or different person or that you're no longer a child of God. But the whole Bible isn't about that, is it? The whole, most of the Bible is about how you should walk today, most of the New Testament, certainly, how you should live your life. And Peter was concerned that those of a like faith as his which means that he could do this also, who who knew these things, who had firmly established in them, been firmly established in them, would then become unstable. And becoming unstable would be liable to be deceived. Because that can happen. And if you get deceived, it's a very simple thing to be put into bondage. Believers can be deceived. Believers can go from being stable believers to being unstable. They can be deceived, they can be put into bondage. And that's this last section, really, but it's underpinning the whole passage, the whole chapter. And the way they get deceived is a failure to exercise discernment. A failure to exercise discernment about what is a valid representation of God's word and what is false teaching. Peter said, just like there were Old Testament uh, false prophets that arose from among the people. From among the people. They had implicit trustworthiness because they were their neighbors, members of their community, and they arose among the people and prophesied falsely. He said, false teachers will arise. False teachers will arise from among you. I get told a lot as a Bible church, independent, one might say fiercely independent, Bible church pastor, dispensationalist, free grace teacher, that I need to recognize that a whole bunch of people are my brothers in Christ and we need to cooperate. They may be my brothers in Christ, but many of them are false teachers. They have arisen from among us and are teaching falsely. And I don't think I'll just lay my cards on the table. I don't think I'm obligated to cooperate with them. I think I'm obligated to rebuke them. Yes? Okay. I think I'm glad we're on the same page there, at least four of you. That's enough. I can rock and roll with that. That's okay. Uh, because false teachers are not, they're not ignorant. They're malicious. They're, they're malicious. They're in bondage themselves, and they're telling you, I've got freedom to offer. Now, I wish that they actually wore handcuffs that you could see. Right, because then you would that would be an illegitimate claim. You'd be able to recognize that, wouldn't you? But this is a spiritual reality. You're in bondage to things that you shouldn't be. But there's not you can't see it with your eyeballs. You have to discern it with your mind. And Peter said, by what a man is overcome, to this he's enslaved. He's enslaved by that which overcomes him. And these guys are springs without water. Empty holes. Empty holes. By what a man is enslaved, by this he is overcome, he's defeated. Right? He's defeated by that. Uh, They focus, these malicious teachers, they focus on those, Peter says, who have scarcely escaped the new ones in their freedom. One might say the immature ones. Uh, I, would, I think I'd lean that way. The ones who have started to experience the freedom that they've been declared to have. And that might be a brand new believer. That might be somebody who has stayed an infant believer for far too long, but they're liable to be deceived easily. And the false teachers focus on them because they're already on the edge of stability. <laughs> But as we said, people can become weak even though they were once strong. Now, we need to keep our pronouns straight here. You didn't think you were going to hear that at El Paso Bible Church, did you? I ain't talking about what you're thinking about. Um, I, someone told me the other day that I was a, I was a boomer. My dad was barely a boomer, by the way. I just had a birthday this week. Uh, I'm the tail end of Gen X. Like, I'm pretty far removed from being a boomer. But they said I was a boomer and outdated because I didn't want to honor somebody's pronoun preference. First of all, you're not even using a pronoun. It was like giraffe or bicycle. (laughs) That's not a pronoun. That's a noun. And I, I am functional in four or five languages to some degree. I know what a pronoun is. I know what they do. And the main thing isn't keeping your pronoun straight. Isn't all that garbage? It is understanding the antecedent to the pronoun, right? So that's what we're going to—the antecedent, the thing to which it refers, right? You have this problem, right? Lots of languages include, like Spanish, Greek does this, Hebrew does sometimes. Uh, lots of languages have the subject embedded in the verb normally, right? A lot of times. So you can speak more quickly. Um, he, she, it, they, you know, those things are implicit. So, so you need to know what that refers to. There's usually what we call an antecedent. Sometimes it's understood. Sometimes it is explicit. In this case, I think it's pretty explicit what it is. But as we go, verse 20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledgement of uh, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ they are again entangled in them and are overcome their last state has become worse for them than the first now what we're talking about and this i hope that this is obvious to you because a lot of people kind of waffle on whether this is talking about the false teachers or not these are the people who have escaped they have escaped the defilements of the world they've escaped the penalty of sin, they're justified individuals. That's not talking about uh, the false teachers themselves. They have escaped, and they're not in bondage. The false teachers are in bondage. Peter was very clear about that. They offer freedom, but they are in bondage. This is describing a danger to believers. And a lot of people will say that by definition, a believer can't be deceived like this. And that's just not true. That's not the picture that Scripture presents. They've actually escaped. They are actually believers, they are justified individuals. They have escaped. These believers are secure by virtue of being secure in Christ by grace through faith, but unstable. And they run the danger, they're in danger, as immature new believers, to be entangled by the defilements of the world. Again, being overcome, being enslaved, being in bondage, overcome by them. Becoming slaves to them, right? As Peter was very clear, he said, by that, you are enslaved by the thing that overcomes you. You're defeated by that. You're in bondage to it. Now people say things out of this passage that they really shouldn't say. We are unambiguous and unapologetic at El Paso Bible Church that when you are a child of God by grace through faith, when you have received eternal life, that you have it and it cannot be taken from you and you cannot give it up it is a permanent part of your existence your identity you cannot be robbed of it nothing can separate you nothing can separate you from the love of god that is in christ jesus we're told that nothing not yourself a lot of people want to throw a caveat in there that you can chuck it back to god and say no thanks you're not that powerful You cannot unadopt yourself. You cannot untransform yourself. You cannot unidentify yourself. Any more, listen, any more than I can prick my finger and change my DNA on the slide. You can't do that. You were made a child of God. That's your identity. Irrevocable. That's not what we're talking about. But it says something that people try to use it as a little bit of a playground. False teachers do that, actually, with this passage. They are again entangled in them and are overcome. They're in bondage to them. Their last state has become worse for them than the first. It makes people say things they shouldn't say. Part of that is because they have... uh, what we call theologically, we call it a a soteriological purpose of Scripture in view. Now, that's a lot of words, big words. Uh, I can spell them, but don't ask me to do it verbally up here, okay? Um, Soteriological purpose of Scripture, we do not hold that view. The soteriological purpose of Scripture means that a lot of people, and it is most people, view Scripture as mostly being about how to get you to go to heaven when you die. Even that part about the dog returning to its vomit, somehow that's related to you getting to heaven when you die. See the problem there? That's the soteriological purpose of Scripture, and people hold that, so then they feel justified in taking this verse, that uh, their last state is worse than their first, referring to their eternal life, their justification, and they don't see how a true believer, they'll say, can be in this condition. Because they assume that their first state is uh, the day of their physical birth, or something like that, and that their last state is eternity. You see, what the, is that necessary? I don't think that's what that's describing. The last state is worse than their first. Um, that's not really how the Bible uses the word uh, eschaton. There's actually a verb that goes with eschaton. We don't talk about that much because dispensationalists, besides being known as the guys who have the good charts, right? My friend Paul says that a lot. Dispensationalists have the good charts. We have all sorts of very big charts. But we talk about the eschaton a lot. We talk about the last things. But we don't talk about the verb form very often. The verb form means to stand on the edge. I should use the word more because I do it all the time. To stand on the edge of a precipice. To get right there, whoo, about to fall off. Things are about to change, aren't they? When you're standing on the edge of a cliff, things are gonna be different. The last things, nowhere else to go You've come this far, but there's nowhere to keep going the way you were going. That's last things. Eschaton. It's talking about the last things before everything changes. It isn't talking about eternity, it's talking about all the things that happen as we're, I would say, ooching towards eternity, but I feel like we're kind of cruising pretty fast. Right up to the edge. Could be the end of the believer's life. I think that's what it's referring to. The first thing would be, I think, the day that he became a living spirit by grace through faith in Christ. That's really your, your birthday, isn't it? All the years that go before, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what eschaton indicates. It never refers to eternity. I never found a place where it does that. It refers to the things that happen right up, right up to eternity. That experience, immediately preceding, before things change forever, the last things that we experience before sin is defeated, death is defeated, and the glory of eternity begins. And we, as believers, we're with God forever in his presence. The last things, uh, as far as I can tell, scripture always uses that to things that happen in time, in our experience. And what it's describing, and I think most of us have to be honest, I pray that this is not true of any of you here today. I hope that it's not true of any of you here today, but you will have encountered somebody, I think, in your life who has not lived victoriously, spiritually, for many years. Who has not taken all the things that they've been given for life and godliness and applied them to their actions in a discerning way, but rather who has returned to the bondage of the defilements of the world. I hope that's not you. I pray that it's not you. And if it is you, please don't do that in, in silence or in isolation. Because it's never, lo- it's never a lost cause. Not while you're breathing. It's not a lost cause. But I'm sure that you know as many, much of the time we like to focus on the testimonies of, of people who are fabulously victorious, don't we? I don't blame you. Incredible testimonies out there, aren't there? Uh, someone was talking to me this last week, uh, and actually a couple of weeks ago also. We've had this conversation a couple of times. And he just asked me, why didn't God preserve so-and-so from that thing? Why didn't God preserve them from that suffering? I don't know exactly. I don't know why the Lord didn't preserve me from... Lots of suffering. And I'm not positive that he's going to bother to take the time to explain to me in eternity. We often say that. Well, one day I'll know it all. Don't even say that. You will not ever be omniscient. You will never be omniscient, and God does not owe you an explanation. What you hell have for the rest of eternity is the benefit of continual education continual learning, continual perfection in a way. You will be glorified, you will be in a flesh-like body like Christ, like Christ, but you will never be omniscient. And I'm not sure that I'm guaranteed an explanation for every little jot and tittle thing that ever happened to me. But I want you to consider about our testimony. If God preserved you from everything, whether it was somebody else's stupidity that was victimizing you or your own stupidity that was your just consequence, rather broad categories there, right? I've had it all and everything in between, but he delivered you from those things, but you didn't know it. What good is that testimony? The only time you'll learn about that testimony potentially is in eternity when you don't need it anymore. Because faith will have become sight. Everyone will know God is good. Everyone will know his grace. And here's the kicker, by the way, in the kingdom at least, it ends up that everybody rebels against him anyway. Not everybody, but I mean, vast quantities of humanity rebel against him at the end of the kingdom. Knowing his goodness, knowing his grace experiencing the righteous rule of the Messiah on the earth from Jerusalem, from the throne of David, and they will still yet rebel against him. But if God delivers you secretly from everything, your testimony is not very useful, and you haven't grown in grace, and you won't be secure in what God has for you to do in this world. And you might just be useless. Oof. That's like the worst thing somebody could say to me. By the way, children, young people, I don't care what it actually means, but when you call somebody that is older than you a boomer, that is how they hear it. So cut that crap out. Especially if you're doing it to me, who is a Gen X. Because Gen X don't really care, you're just looking stupid. (laughs) All right. Be careful with your words also. This is talking about a believer who has, I don't even know if we should say peaked early. I'm not sure if they ever peak. They just stay immature perhaps, they go back deceived, into bondage. And their last temporal state is, in fact, worse than their first. The day that you trust in Christ, you feel perhaps the most freedom you've ever felt, I think. Most, most people. I, I, have an, I have a little bit of a unique testimony in that regard. <laughs> um, I believe I trusted Christ very, very young, and then I was hit by a car when I was about five years old. And I didn't remember the names of my parents or colors for a good while, much less my spiritual birthday. It was a little bit unique. Um, And then later I was told by a youth pastor who meant well. I I still am in touch with him uh, somewhat, who told me that if I didn't remember my spiritual birthday I was going to hell. Again. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, not even a pickup truck running you down in the street. Amen? Anybody? Your stupidity can't do it. Your foolishness can't do it. Your disobedience can't do it. A Ford truck can't do it. I don't know if it's a Ford truck. I don't remember. I just remember my bike never worked well after that. But you know that. People's lives rather than being a progression of joyfulness like God has intended because we we exercise and supply the things that He's provided to us for, for life and godliness so that we would know that we're not useless, so that we know what we're supposed to do in this life. Not every believer does that. And it's sad. It's terrible. That's why Peter at risk of being called a boomer. Says, I know you know these things, and you were firmly established in them, but you are going to hear them again, and thousands of years later, we are still reading them, because they still matter, because we're still at risk of having been stable once and then becoming unstable, being deceived and going into bondage, and it really screwing up the rest of our days on this life, which is not what God wants for you and for me they get entangled by the things of the world the false teaching deceived and destabilized maybe just having experienced moments of freedom when it happens that's what's being described here it's a life that is not victorious it's a life without the experience of freedom for the believer of security we're not we're not talking about whether god wants you to have a cadillac or not but whether you are fully equipped james says perfect equipped to handle everything that the world throws at you instead people choose to live like the prodigal son but never come to his realization don't you, don't you love that? When he goes, you know, I'm sitting here in the pigsty eating corn cuffs. And even the janitor in my dad's house lives better than this. I'm paraphrasing. Even the guy who scrubs the potties in my dad's house lives better than this. The prodigal son came to that conclusion but many believers who are in bondage to the defilements of the world, never do. He says this, for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. I want you to understand they know the way of righteousness, not that they do it. Scripture does not teach that it would be better for them to have never done righteousness, never done good things, than to have not done them at all. He says, you know what to do. They know which way to go. And they chose not to go that way. This is about their knowledge. Not about what they were doing. He know, they know which way to walk. Isn't that important? One of our last weddings that we had, I instructed several of my family members, do not. Do not get on I 10 to go to that restaurant because I know the way that you should go. 45 minutes later than the rest of us. (laughs) Think about the spiritual reality. They knew the way to go and they didn't take it. This is not an identity change, but this is a bad decision. They knew the way, but they didn't go that way. They didn't walk that way. Doesn't this, parents, isn't this grievous? If your children know the way, and they don't go the way, I say that with a lot of humility because it's weird being in your forties. I just turned forty-six. I'll be—I'm a grandfather, right? Forty-six. Got some kids at home, and I have four adult sons. At the cusp of adulthood, it remains to be seen. No, no offense, adult son who's here. Uh, I only have one here today. No offense. They know the way to go, and I have done my best to tell them when I have screwed up, and that wasn't the way to go. They know the way to go, but it is up to them to choose it. It is up to them to do it. It's grievous when they don't. And the grief is multiplied exponentially when we realize ourselves that we knew the way to go and now it's not, it's not fixable entirely. The consequences are with me. You can always change, but you're not going to eliminate all the consequences from years of lacking discernment. They knew it, they recognized. They knew what to do, but they turned back. This is an interesting word, I've only found it once in the New Testament, strepho. Epistrefo, some of y'all will remember, is one of the words that's translated repent, and we make a big deal out of the words that are translated repent in Scripture because it, it messes up people's gospel presentations if they don't. There's metanoia, which is the very common one. That means to change your mind, noia, nous, mind, metanoia, epistrefo, means to go a different direction. One is about behavior. One is about your mind. Epistrefo is the one about your behavior. It means to do different things, to walk a different way, to choose a different way to do things. Metanoia means to change your mind. Only one of those is ever related to eternal life. Metanoia. Hupostrefo is related to epistrefo, but it means to return somewhere you went before to go back the way you were going before, to return. Hupostrefo is the word here, means you were going, even going the right way, but you've turned back. To return the way that they have escaped. I was watching, uh, I forget the name of the movie we were watching last night, Gerard Butler. Kind of liking Gerard Butler. I kind of like it. We were watching it. It was one of those apocalyptic movies where they got selected to get on a plane and go uh, to Greenland. Oh, it's called Greenland. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's what it was called, going to Greenland. Yeah, uh, the, yeah they were going there, going in the bunker and all that. And it's, it's a pretty good action flick. It was pretty good. The guy gets on the plane and realizes his wife and daughter aren't there. Demands to be let off. As a comet is... Impaling the earth and causing this. Didn't matter in that case. But everybody thinks he's an absolute nut, having gotten on the plane to get off. These people knew the way to go, and in fact were going it, and they turned around and went back to death and bondage temporarily. Even though the alternative had been handed to them. Did you catch that? To turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. Isn't that really, really sad? You hand somebody a blessing and they reject it. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Gross. Dogs actually do this, by the way, in case you're not a dog person. I'm not really a dog person, but I have dogs. I got them, it's a long story. I got livestock guardian dogs to identify with my children to protect them in the context that we were in. Always been working dogs. Uh, but they they do this occasionally. And you know, if you even have a modicum of compassion on an animal, you go, please don't do that. That's gross, doggy. That's disgusting. I have this bowl of nice food for you. My dogs get goat milk. They get organ meats when we process other animals. They get plenty of of food. They even get, because I'm on carnivore now, but I don't eat the gristle. They get the gristle off all these ribeye steaks and New York strips and All sorts of good things to eat. You can throw that on the porch, but if they puke in the yard, they go there first. And you feel bad for them. You know who doesn't feel bad? The dog. (laughs) The dog does not feel a single bit of compunction, doesn't feel oppressed, doesn't feel the bonded. Just like somebody who's been deceived. Deceived. They don't know how bad that is. Because they're back in bondage, and they believe it's freedom. That's what they were sold, said so on the internet. People who are unstable are easily deceived by false teaching that offers bondage, but calls it freedom. So we need to remind ourselves, this is why we do what we do here, because the way to stay stable is to receive the word joyfully, to be reminded of the things that God has provided us for life and godliness, to be reminded of the reason that we're on this earth according to Scripture. that we're reminded of the things that we know, even if we've been firmly established, to really consider and understand the likelihood, the possibility, even if it seems extremely remote. I, I pray that it seems extremely remote that you would become an unstable person. I hope that it seems remote to you because you are walking with the Lord and that's a stable place and firmly established. But if that is you if that is you, you are in a better position to understand the truth of this scripture than anybody else. That the risk is still present. The risk is always present to go back to bondage. Even Paul wished, he was like, I hope that after I have run this race, I will not be disqualified in the end. Eventually he affirms, and he knew this, that he had not been. At the end of his life, it's a real risk. And the more you know, the more that you're established, the more stable you are, the more that we need to understand. Because I have seen so many of my associates and friends, former, in some cases, former friends. I hate to even say that word. Former friends, isn't there? There's not much worse of a designation in your life. Former friend who are former friends because they have rejected friendship <laughs> because they went after false teaching. It's gross. It's like a dog returning to its vomit. Doesn't matter that the dog smiles while he does it, it's gross. Horrible. And we can unveil ourselves of the good gifts of God's grace that we've been given. We can discern truth from error, know the way, walk the way of righteousness, and live life victoriously experiencing freedom if we choose to do that and submit to the Word of God and obey it. Father, we thank you for this day. We do thank you for your Word. We thank you for this extended warning about the dangers of false teaching that are not unique to the church but present and common as a threat in our time and in our age father we we thank you for the admonitions and the warnings that are in this text and father we we seek courage and wisdom and discernment to walk in freedom in this life until we're with you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? We'll dismiss the song.